Hi, I'm Beth Guckenberger, and welcome to the Punch First Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about day 19 and this idea that the enemy wants me to be ignorant. He he wants me to not even see him coming, to ignore it. And we've probably mentioned before on this podcast that in my the process of writing Throw the First Punch, I learned that about a quarter of everything that Jesus said was about the world we can't see. And I like that ratio. Like, we shouldn't be talking about him all the time. That gives him undue attention. Sometimes things happen just just because like I get a flat tire because there was a pothole and I get sick because I was exposed to germs. It doesn't always mean the devil's behind it. But if I never talk about him, if I never acknowledge what he might be trying to do to hurt us, then he gets away with stuff that he has no business getting away with. So in today's day, what we were talking about is this idea that if we can think ahead, if we can think in patterns, if we can be preventative, which you and I do, I mean, Every day we talk about what's our punch first strategy for the day. Yeah, I mean, just this past weekend we had a family funeral, and we we literally, I mean, I was it was on my side of the family, but um, but but we talked about a punch first strategy. Um, we even talked about adding some kind of life scripts to it because it was it was potential for either my own sin or our family sin to come out, and I think the enemy just wants to poke that bear and and drive us. To, to those kind of actions. And today we had a staff meeting, and in that staff meeting, a staff member talked about the relationship between our own professional success and our understanding of who we are, like our own self-awareness. And I think one kind of unintended benefit of all that punch and first between you and I is we've become more self-aware. Um, you know, in that in that funeral scenario you just talked about, we talked about what kinds of things could trigger us. What kinds of comments would bring out the worst in us? What kinds of actions might might cause us to forget our spirit-filled nature and fall back on our flesh? And not only does that help prepare me, because when one of those things happen, I can say, oh, but I've already thought this through, and this is how I'm going to be, or this is how I'm going to act. But it also just is a reminder to me, not in a shameful way, actually in a very empowering way, that these are my weaknesses. And... I need to own them so that, and I need to bring them to the light so that through that confession, God can transform me. Yeah, and I, what I liked about it specifically for this weekend was, you know, I, I actually just tried to embed in my brain Galatians 2.20. Yeah, you did. I, I'm a new creation of Christ. And I, I, I wanted that to be my response. I didn't want to. And so as I was, as I was punching first, and then I we talked about it later and, and talked about, okay, let's really talk about this. That was the first thing that came to my mind. So I think... Not only knowing what could happen, what's coming, but also scripture. God's given us his word to transform us and to become like him. And you've done a better job of this than I have, I think. But like you and I punch first and we are spiritual peers. Like, you know, we've been growing in our walks with the Lord about the same time. But you actually talk about punching first in your meetings sometimes. You t- you just talked about it with a family member that doesn't even share our faith. Yeah, well, and, and in meetings too, especially like a like a a tough meeting, you know, I've, I've said multiple times, enemy wants to divide and enemy wants me to throw in the towel. That's, that's the messaging that I get thrown at by the enemy. But the, in meetings, especially if you're going to have an intense conversation or have a 
have some confrontation. You know, I've gone so far as to say to everybody in the group, hey, let's let's take let's take a minute and punch first. Let's mm-hmm. let's name some truths and let's also name and label what the enemy would want to do. I've actually done that many times. And, and it, it's in any organization, people are going to be on opposite sides sometimes, and there's going to be conflict. But the enemy doesn't have to divide us. We're still on the same side at the end of the day. Yeah. Last night, you and I were talking about this idea of having hard conversations with people and. We have our own natural tendencies. I don't necessarily love to have hard conversations, but I'm willing to. You you seem to run right into them head first. But when we were talking about the wisdom behind realizing that you might get yourself ready to have a hard conversation, but you're not having it with yourself. You're having it with another person who might themselves not be ready to have a hard conversation. And that doesn't even count the spiritual filter that's between us that sometimes I say red and you hear me say blue and like and that whole concept of being misunderstood I mean that's really what I wrote about in that day this that incident that happened where I was preaching and someone didn't didn't like didn't agree with maybe didn't understand what I was I was teaching and and accused me frankly of heresy and what was so uh, the enemy won that day. I mean, I felt fear, embarrassment, shame. The other person felt at a minimum judgment. You know, who knows what else they were feeling. But then that that dang enemy kept winning again and again when I would prepare a message and have insecurity. Or someone would send me an email and the tagline might say last week's message and their the body of their message was about how much it meant to them or something they went home and did as a result of it. But when I would see that subject line, I would I would feel fear because it would remind me of a moment where the enemy was able to get a foothold in my life. Right. Just just a simple trigger that when we then tie everything to future events and future any future interaction and and I think I think the spiritual filter. I think that's a really really good way to say it because how many times have we disconnected? I mean, not thousands, hopefully, but we've disconnected over something that wasn't really real. Like we we both had a different narrative because we brought some kind of filter to the story or some kind of trigger to the story that was like, oh, that was really nothing. And you know, and anyway, I think it's I think that's a really good good thing to be aware of and almost to punch first. Like, okay, what what is truth here? Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but one of the exercises in day 19 is about a timeline and encouraging anyone who is holding that book up in front of them to think through events in their life where they used to think one way and then some inciting incident happens and it shifts them to think in a new way. And when I was doing the timeline, one of the things that came to my mind is 2007 when I began to write Reckless Faith. And prior to that, I was like not interested in drawing undue or unnecessary attention to myself and feeling like God said, I, I one, I gave you a light, let it shine. And two, I'm going to build a platform underneath you and just use it for my glory. And feeling permission and freedom then to have attention as long as I deflect it or redirect it, it's probably a better way to the creator and and not take credit where it's not mine. But can you think in your life of it, an inciting incident where you thought one way and then God healed, growed you, grew you up, shifted your thinking to think another way? Yeah, I mean, I may have already shared this in a previous podcast, but when I was in 11th grade, I had an English teacher who told me that uh, I grade you different. And she said, I grade you different because you're from a different school. And it was me and two other students, my brother and then one other student. And... 
from that day on, I thought, I'm not a good writer. And it was a lie that, that kind of got really deeply embedded. And I really honestly, until maybe even 10 years ago, was was embarrassed to even share any writing. And I think you've shown me in, in this particular getting feedback is actually good in your writing. So I would like write something, send it out, not want anybody to look at it, even though I sent it to a larger group of people, mm-hmm. but I was embarrassed to show it to anybody to, to help me edit it or mm-hmm. to, you know, I wouldn't think I was a horrible writer, but, but, but I it embedded this lie. And I remember making a decision. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be vulnerable, transparent. And so there are people in my life that I can trust with that feedback and I, but I think it's, it's, it's a thing, you know, it's, we, we start, we sit on that lie and then it becomes, it's a truth that we believe, but I think uh, going, okay, you know what, that, I'm not, that didn't identify. I'm not, I'm not a bad writer. It's, it's just a lie I believed. And honestly, I don't even know if the English teacher said it to mean that. Yeah. Looking back, you know, it was that spiritual filter again, like sometimes she said right and you heard what I heard and I probably heard it because I, at the time I probably didn't think I was a good writer and mm-hmm. just was like, boom, you know, landed pretty hard on me. Yeah, and I think that timeline exercise, it's really powerful to look back and realize moments that were game changers for us. But it's also important to look ahead and think, uh, I I have lessons still to learn, and I want to be fully present for them. And I want to be in the middle of something that's going down in my life and think, Lord, I want to hear from you about you. I don't I don't want to, I don't want to literally metabolize any kind of lie that the enemy might say to me or through me. So I remember um, I was third grade, fourth grade, my parents got divorced. My dad said something to me like, you'll probably grow up and get divorced. And it was, he was saying, he was coming, looking back, it was, he was speaking, statistically speaking, you know, at the time it was like one in four people. I think now it's almost 50%. But I heard I'm doomed. There's no reason even even to get married. Now I was nine, 10 years old. Fast forward, we were about ready to get married. We're maybe six weeks away from getting married, and I've started thinking, panicking, mm-hmm. not not cold feet, but like, I don't want to do this because I thought at that point, it's all downhill from here. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this really defining conversation with you and your, and your perspective, it was, all, it was only going to get better from here because mm-hmm. you had a different, a model different. But I think I now looking back when we were 22 years old, pre-marriage, we didn't have these kind of conversations about punch first, but it was a thing. To and I think looking back, we we maybe even punched first at it. Like, okay, I'm not no longer going to believe this lie. This is not doesn't define me. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I just encourage listeners to take their time with that timeline exercise, and really make sure that we have you have people in your life that are interested in the kind of details that have shaped who you are. Uh, I I think the enemy wants us to fall back, look back stay back, shrink, and God has a different plan for us. So with whomever it is that you are processing this with, I pray that you and yours will continue to learn how to throw the first punch. 